In today's Rocketship.fm episode, we take one final dose of product therapy. This is the final episode of a special three-episode series diving into coaching sessions that Silicon Valley product groups Christian Idioti has held over the past few months. We were very grateful to both Christian and his clients for them to turn the microphone on. So we here at Rocketship.fm could listen in and learn. Sometimes the issues that somebody else is dealing with, well, we can learn from those issues. Chances are we will face them as well. And it sure is interesting to get to listen to Christian talk through some of these issues. So what do you say we get started and do just that, Michael? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's do it. So let's dive into today's session one final dose of product therapy. Welcome to Rocketship.fm. Rocketship FM is produced in partnership with Product Collective. We are your hosts, Michael Saka. And I'm Mike Belsito. As AI continues to revolutionize our world, there's a critical conversation we can't ignore. AI safety and security. And that's where HackerOne's AI red teaming comes into play, rigorously testing AI models to prevent them from being misled or exploited. HackerOne employs over 2 million ethical hackers, and 750 of them specialize in prompt hacking and other AI security and testing. So HackerOne isn't just theorizing, they're actively safeguarding AI's future. Just recently, a team unearthed over 100 vulnerabilities in just two weeks. So whether you're at the helm of a startup or steering product innovation at a large company, it's time to prioritize AI security. Visit HackerOne.com slash AI for more. Again, HackerOne.com slash AI. This episode is sponsored by Porkbun.com. Porkbun is a refreshingly different domain name registrar that's different from the other ones like GoDaddy or Namecheap. They've got low prices on hundreds of different domain extensions. They've got everything from .com domains to really cool ones like .pro, .dev, .xyz. Every domain name at Porkbun comes with tons of freebies too, like SSL certificate, who is privacy, DNS, URL forwarding, and hosting trials. Because why pay for things that should be free, right? All these incredible features and tools are backed by incredible support, 365 days a year, and more five-star reviews on Trustpilot from real customers than anyone else. Look, you can get a dollar off your next domain name from Porkbun and see why they're the best domain name register around by using our code. Just go to porkbun.com forward slash rocketchipfm24. That's porkbun, P-O-R-K-B-U-N dot com forward slash rocketchipfm24. You'll save a dollar on your next domain. This episode is brought to you by Gigantic. At Gigantic, you can level up your product skills through live small group cohort-based trainings. We're incredibly excited to welcome you to our next cohort of our product strategy training kicking off in January of 2024. This course will take you through the frameworks that product leaders use at companies like eBay, DoorDash, Groupon, Rent the Runway in order to scale their teams. It's taught by Ben Foster, a friend of this podcast, who is the former chief product officer at Whoop. 
So come join us. Go to gigantic.is. That's gigantic.is. And save your seat for our January cohort. Your potential is gigantic, and we're here to help you reach it. Go to gigantic.is to reserve your seat today. For today's product therapy session, Christian Idioti of Silicon Valley Product Group sits down with the product leader, Amnon. Now let's get right into their conversation. Here, Amnon sets the stage for us. My name is Amnon. I'm uh, the head of product. Uh, I used to say startup, but now it's really a scale-up. Uh, we just uh, landed our Series B funding round. We have uh, roughly 25 developers. Uh, we now split them into three experienced product teams, like empowered product teams. And uh, one is more of a platform team, which we kind of struggle to change to like the empowered uh, model. This is, you know, fairly recent. We just started uh, this year, the beginning of 22. And uh, before that, uh, a little embarrassed to say, we had like two delivery teams essentially. And uh, and when I joined, I've been trying to make this change for for like two years. I essentially managed to convince everyone for a, like to go for a pilot team uh, early 21. And uh, it was, you know, a great success. And um, yeah, now we kind of transformed the entire R&D. Okay, so Amnon, he comes into this product leadership role and is really tasked with changing the entire mindset of how product is approached. He mentioned the empowered product model. This is a model that the team at Silicon Valley Product Group has definitely evangelized for. It was also made popular by Marty Kagan's books, Inspired and Empowered. Marty is another partner at the Silicon Valley Product Group. But Amnon's question, he's the initiator of this change, but he still feels the leftover effects of the old organization sort of seeping through. How could he change everybody else's mindset outside of this product team? Let's hear what Christian has to say. Well, well, first, Amnon, uh, congratulations on your Series B. Congratulations on your growth and scaling up. Uh, Going from a startup to anything is significant. And and we always want to commend people that go around solving problems for others in a meaningful way. So uh, now what I'm hearing you say is uh, over the last couple of months, you've been making a transition from a delivery team model or future team model to an empowered team model. And today you've got about 25 developers, four teams, and you're making this transition. Your immediate concern is you're probably feeling a little lonely on this journey. You are the champion, the driver of this transformational change, and many of your peers or your leaders and your organization um, are not in the same place you are on this journey. And your concern is how do we bring them along the journey? Let's start with the journey itself, right? The first question is, why are we doing this? Why do you want to have empowered teams? What's what's in it for you? What's in it for the organization? What do you see as the benefits of working this way? So uh, the immediate benefits are um, satisfaction of the team members. We're seeing I, I uh, did like like a product management way of uh, you know doing the pilot, and I kind of surveyed uh, the team members before and after. And they're really happy about, you know, working in this manner. And for me, I mean, I'm, I'm really proud. The other, the other uh, reason, and obviously, like, that's the main, 
know, focus is to solve problems. But what we used to do is the company used to work in this uh, sales-driven way that uh, you know the salespeople were talking to the customers and told us what they need, and that's how we kind of work things. And 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 I love that you're participating in me as I'm getting you to talk about the benefits here. Because this is what you need to be comfortable doing. Because you need to evangelize the why you're doing this. And I'm hearing you say very clearly that in some ways, this helps you to attract talent. Smart people want to work for a company uh, where they are given problems to solve and told things to do. And that you're seeing that uh, new joiners uh, enjoy a culture and environment where they feel empowered. You're also calling out uh, a heightened amount or at least an increase in your employee satisfaction. You know, as Steve Jobs says, why hire smart people to tell them what to do? We hire smart people to tell us what's possible in some ways, what to do. And and you're seeing the satisfaction that empowering people is producing better results, at least in terms of satisfaction. Absolutely. You're also loving the idea that your teams are now focused more on solving problems than delivering futures or building things or outputs in some ways. And uh, more importantly for you, you are calling out this idea that the the core of your job is to grow the business, grow your targeted addressable market in some ways. And you you think by moving from a sales-driven mindset to a product mindset will help you accomplish that. Now, I am just repeating your words. And I'm doing that because it's important that you hear it back because this has to be why you're doing it. The first way you can get other people to you know, become missionaries of this journey is for you to clearly understand the benefits because you need to be able to tune in to their radio station. What's in it for them? What's in it for the company? What do we gain by making this shift? Now, it is important to note that this is a cultural shift. From one way of working where maybe your delivery teams in the past or your uh, agile teams, scrum teams or future teams were serving the business. What do you need? We will build it. What does sales need to close this deal? We will do it. You know, this customer needs this. Whatever you need. Our job is to deliver against the things that you want. And you're saying we're going to move from a subservient model to a partnership model. We want to partner with you to solve the problems in a way that customers will love and work for the business. So this is a cultural shift. Now, on one end, you may have read the books, your team may understand this, but you are calling out people with a legacy way of working and thinking, where they say, hmm, we need a new website, we need a new app. Let's go to those technology people and ask them to do that. And you are telling them we should work in a different way because it yields better results. Okay, so I, I want to, I'm framing for you, first of all, an understanding of why you're doing it. And secondly, making sure you understand what you're up against in doing it. And that it is not a, um, it's a natural consequence of your growth and the leadership and a legacy mindset. It's not something is fundamentally wrong with your organization. Typically, many organizations as startups strive uh, very early on because the ingredients that uh, drive innovation, like 
true collaboration, focus on the customer. Those things are baked into startups. We don't have, you know, bureaucracy and legacy and lots of process and things to to look at. You're really focused on we just got to solve a problem so that we can all eat <laughs> and make some money. So. As companies start to scale, uh, uh, you know, visionary leadership and, and stuff starts to dwindle. There's a lot of context, a lot of collaboration. So first uh, key here is I want you to make a list or inventory in some ways of the benefits of empowered teams. I love the list you have already with people. That's important, right? Our ability to uh, attract talent, retain talent, and have them deliver meaningful work has to be called to your leadership team. And you're you're making an argument here that in our talent acquisition, we will only attract smart people if you know they are, they see the problems we want to solve uh, in our vision and the environment is what they can thrive in. It's a good argument. The second is we love the folks we have here. You know, they will leave us for companies like Apple or Amazon or Google because they see those companies strive and succeed. It's not because they have unique people, but because their environment is an empowered environment, right? So you're building another case that says, if we have an environment like this, we also have a great uh, group of people that will stay for us. So you've made that argument. You're also making the argument that this is a better way of driving meaningful outcomes for your company. And uh, in some ways, what's better than uh, a future or a new capability is getting the results we want. And that this is one that we want to focus on why over what, on outcomes over output. So, you know, you're making a case to your leadership to say, look, um, what's the problem we want to solve? Do we want to grow revenue or do we want a new API or mobile app? Uh, you know, do we want to retain customers? Do we want to get satisfaction from customers, adoption? Do you want more sales or do you want a new future? Right? And your argument is, well, let's give the team those problems to solve because they may surprise us with more features. Lots of thoughts from Christian here on how to change the mindset internally. And he starts to get into why it's important for product leaders to take on the task of essentially evangelizing the importance of product management and an empowered approach to product. More on that train of thought after a quick break to hear from our sponsors. Before the break, Christian, honestly, he's on a roll. He was answering Amnon's questions about how to really lobby internally for transforming the organization to take on more of an empowered product approach. And in fact, brings up another question that Amnon has. Let's get back into the conversation. Now, evangelizing this is part of your job to constantly evangelize this to the leadership team. Funny you should mention that because that's the other question that I had. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it, you know, you, you mentioned you're historically a sales-driven organization. Yeah. And I want to call out what this big transformational shift has to be. I have often argued that the people in a company that tend to have the power or be perceived as influential or drivers are the ones that tend to represent the customer the best. Meaning that uh, the argument that a salesperson may bring to Amnon, this is why we need to do this, is what? Our customers want, if you do this, we will sell $10 million. If you do this, we will win this deal. You know, 50 of my clients are complaining about it, you see? They have some, they back 
their arguments, or at least the reason we listen to them, <laughs> is because they are in touch with the people we are solving problems for, the end customer or the end user. Now, the first challenge I typically give to product leaders is one that says you have to have as deep, if not deeper, knowledge of the customers than any other part of the organization if you truly want them to rely on you to tell us what to do. Because if you come to me and say, you know, well, this is what the product team is going to do, and you don't know the customers like I do, then I'm already winning that argument. You say, who are we doing this for? The customer. Well, I know them better than you do. So you should probably listen to me. Now, this is not an easy fit, but I tell product leaders that you have to be calculative and methodical in growing the knowledge of the customer and user in your team. Now, the best way, tactically, that I know how to do this is through a period of humility. It's going to feel terrible for a while because your whole organization is going to look like you don't know anything, but that's okay. Because what's more important is that you do know. And so you are going to go to the head of sales or to the sales group and say, look, I want to spend time with you. My team wants to spend time with your teams to understand more about the customer, the environment, how you guys work, how sales operates. I want to participate with you in understanding the customer. Now, the reason this is important tactically is, one, um, the reason the sales team can influence the product team is because they believe they know more. The best way for them to know that your team knows about the customer is if they teach your team or actually participate with your team in learning. It's going to feel a little confusing for a while because your team will be going to sales meetings with them, spending time with them. With but what are you doing here? You're building a strong relationship with sales, which is good. You're also exposing your product team to sales behavior and sales practices as well as to the customers. Salespeople are, you know, they are seeing your team, listen to them as they pitch, watch them as they sell things, right? They are building trust in product people know what we do, right? You want to build an arsenal of real customer insights. And the sales organization is going to take the credit for being the ones that taught you. And I want you to be comfortable with this because I promise you they will forget all about it as quickly as they do. Because what will they now say uh, a year from now? They will say, oh, man's team does not know, man's team doesn't know anything. Well, you taught them. Were you a bad teacher? Did you not spend, you see? They are now accountable for training your team. So they will believe, one, your team is competent because they know we taught them everything about the customer. Great, you taught us everything. So if we know what you know, then... You should trust us that our job is to solve the problems and we have a good enough relationship to do that. And in this conversation about evangelizing, it brings up another question from Amnon, one that has to do with his personality. Is his personality well-suited to take on that role of evangelizing? That's part of his question to Christian. Let's go back to Amnon right here. You know, I'm like personality-wise, I'm kind of an introvert, uh, you know, thinking uh, kind of person. Not, you know, the charismatic, uh, all out there uh, leader. And I find it hard. And I think it's it relates to the, to the you know, to the previous problem. Because, um, you know, I find that if I sit one on one with someone and, you know, it, it might take a while 
uh, I don't know, maybe like one or two meetings or, you know, hour or longer. But then, you know, uh, I get them on board. They understand. And not only on, you know, the transition, but also on, um, you know, vision, strategy, uh, you know, stuff that I kind of perceive to be, you know, the core of my job, right? But I, I'm having difficulties with, because we're scaling up, right? And we're going to be not, you know, 25 developers and, you know, 50. We're going to be, I don't know, 200 people. Yes. It's going to be difficult for me to sit with them, you know, one-on-one with all yes. of them. Yes. So I, I think my question is, do you have any, you know, uh, tips for, you know, doing the evangelizing uh, work Yes. people like me? Great, great question. And uh, first of all, uh, your personality type is not an indication of whether you're a great leader or a bad leader at all. I can show you a long list of people with, you know, that are introverts in some ways that have been excellent and I love them. Super important in the work we do. And I want to commend, first of all, the fact that you do one-on-ones effectively with people use it to share vision and strategy and to coach and pass messages. I am that different type of leader until today. That is still the most effective way of communicating and passing information to people because people are different. You know, one-on-one, you can figure out those dynamics. I can figure out, oh, you know, I'm known as the one that needs to be written, you know, sent an email. The other person only listens to you when you do lunch with them. Another person needs coffee for their money. You know, because you care about getting the message across, I can tailor it, craft it to the style that someone can receive it. That's the most effective. I think it is underscored in many environments where people do big all hands and somebody gets on stage and says, this is our vision. Why can't everybody just get it? I've shared it in PowerPoint 50 times. You know, I've you know, posted it on the wall in some ways. The one-on-one is still the most effective. And I want to commend you on that. Now, tactically, how do you do this work? Okay, I, I don't know. Do you play, uh, you know, football, soccer, or some kind of uh, what sports do you like? I'm basketball. Okay, basketball. I love it. So, if you were on a basketball team and you had nobody that could shoot three pointers or long range shots. And I made you the coach of the team. And I said, let's hire people to join the team. Who you go hire? Obviously, someone who, you know, completes the... the That's right. I love that. That's right. You know, I often say this because I I think in many corporate environments, we underscore the importance of team. The idea that if we could all accomplish something by ourselves, then we don't need people, you know. And that team is made up of people with complementary skills. Not people that all look like us. If you had everybody that could shoot three-pointers and nobody could, you know, dunk the ball, then, you know, your shortcut game is tough. Or everybody that could play offense and no defense, you know, it feels like you could win for a little while. You're doing well in one component, but you start to see that there are weaknesses and gaps in your team's ability to always win the game. Now, what are we arguing? We're saying evangelism is a good thing. People that can rally up the team and get people excited and motivated. We are agreeing that that's a good skill to have on our team. Tactically, as a leader, you need this complementary skill in your organization. It is not up to you to be all of those things. 
to be the best three-point shooter, the best dunker, the best defender, the best blocker, the best still. No, team is made up of complementary skills. So what I will do is prioritize these competencies in my generals, in the people you're going to hire next. Okay? Because you say, look, you know, I used to have a, a head of engineering that was a great complement to my style. Very same philosophy. We approach product different styles. I will go do one-on-one -on -one meetings, um, uh, team meetings with his team to rally people up. He will do one-on-ones with my people, my product managers, and I'll do one-on-team meetings with his engineers. You see, we were on the same team as both leaders, and we recognized our different styles and skills, and we deployed it because we knew we had different personalities on the team, right? I knew I couldn't win everybody in a charismatic meeting all the time. Some people needed a little hand-holding and stuff. He knew he couldn't do it all in the hand-holding and stuff. <laughs> you see, this is important. Yeah. So I will say, um, you know, on one end, this is not a skill that you cannot be coached on. Of course, you can get better at evangelizing and, you know, running more team meetings to get everybody. But tactically, you want people that this is what they like doing and they are good at it. You want to pull that skill set on your team, right? Be careful of over-indexing, you know, just having, you know, 50 cowboys and nobody that can actually do the one-on-ones like you do in that way, because now you have to go back and be the only one doing it. So it's about balance, right? You're looking for complementary skills that will help you accomplish that. Because yes, the secret, if you have that kind of uh, evangelist or charismatic leader, and you invest in one-on-one -on -one with that person, making sure they know everything you know, that vision, that strategy, that well, that's leverage. You, that's leverage, exactly. You're scaling up. They're going to go out and be noisy to other people, you see? And just imagine in your playbook, if you have four of those people, then you invest one-on-one -on -one with four, and you have significant leverage as you scale. You will also need more people that can do one-on-ones too. You see, this yeah. is all about being very tactical about your team. This is how we solve it. Okay, we're gonna take one more break and we'll be right back with more from this conversation. Before the break, we were in the midst of this conversation between Christian Idioti and Amna, a new product leader who reached out to Christian for a good dose of product therapy. A good part of this conversation is focused on the need to evangelize and influence internally, showcasing the importance of taking on more of an empowered product mindset, moving away from the sales-led mentality his organization has typically lived. But Let's cut into a question that Christian asks, a very pointed question about the leadership at the organization that Amnon works at. Tell me about uh, your relationship with your CEO. Oh, that's uh, a... <laughs> we, we need an extra 60 minutes for that. <laughs> okay, well, we don't have another 60 minutes, but, but we do have a few minutes. So let's see if we could use these last few minutes wisely. Back to Amnon. We have, you know, two sites, one in, in Israel and one in, in London. Recently, he moved back to Israel, but he was, um, you know, living and, and working in, in London. And so he kind of uh, delegated all of the management of the Israeli side to his deputy CEO. So essentially, we have this uh, kind of weird structure. I think it's part of, like, the first problem. It's hard for me to... What I need for them from them is to give, like, an 
you know, what's the outcome? What's the result? Where they want to, you know, go? I think I find myself in, you know, in a position where I decide because that's not the way they manage, you know, the company. They have like different ways of, you know, seeing things. So basically, on the one hand, I get a, a lot of freedom to, uh, you know, explore and, and kind of set the objectives uh, the way I see fit. Uh, on the other hand, that I'm in check with, you know, what they're thinking of where the business needs to go. So you have a very challenging uh, job of trying to discern what two different leaders with different styles and different approaches uh, will want, as well as to communicate in a manner that works for them and, and uh, provide them insights or, or reports in, in some ways that works for both of them. Yeah. And, and I can see how that could be challenging, but to your credit, you do have a gift of that one-on-one <laughs> and your ability to interface that you probably need to, to leverage. Yeah, that works. Um, and I, I'm guessing that's why it has worked well for you. You know, some people uh, that don't pay attention to those details, it's going to be very challenging for them to manage. I, I typically advise, uh, you know, product leaders to kind of have a... Um, user manual on their CEO or their, <laughs> on their boss. Yes. You know, you, and, and you know, the way I typically do it selfishly is, um, I actually ask them very pointedly. It's very interesting kind of human nature. Um, you know, it feels very awkward when you do so to say, Hey, I'm not, tell me your communication style. Tell me how you like information. Tell me what motivates you. Tell me what you know. You think about when you think about your family or your children. Uh, people tend to forget that you actually spend the time to ask them those questions. What they actually enjoy after a while is the fact that you know those things. It's very weird. You you can ask someone their birthday fifty times and they will tell you, but what actually is touching to them is that you remember their birthday. They don't remember the fact that like, I told you my birthday. That's why you remembered my birthday. They love that you did something with what you know about them. Yeah. And so I tell leaders, you know, grab a pen and paper, really go old school on it. Just, you know, 20 questions. Imagine you were dating. You know, all the things <laughs> that you like. You know, we look for all of the edges and we ask these weird questions during the date. Nobody for- remembers that we, you know, all of the drilling we did in the dating process. Is actually what happens with the knowledge. So you know, in your case, you probably you're, you know you're dating two people in this sense. So <laughs> you have a little double work, and that's hard to remember on its own. Over one, so yeah. do some of the work of like just investigating, like just you know humbling yourself to say, I want to learn more about your style, your approach, your ideologies, your philosophy. I I like to know questions like how they get bonus in your head. What pisses them off? What, it sounds crazy and nuanced, um, but you know when you drop this user manual, it helps you, especially given your gift of being able to do those one-on-ones. You know, you review a user manual before it, and you just repeat one of the secrets: repeat to people the same something they said in the way they say it. It's a connection principle. Yeah. Yeah, and you know the CEO said, you know, I like to drink my coffee with doubled cubes of sugar. You go in and say, you know, for people that like to drink their coffee with double spoons of sugar, they're like, oh, this person thinks the way I think. They don't. They forget that they told you this, but that you just cared enough to to leverage that is super important. So it's always an emotional intelligence uh, black belt technique I'm giving you here. Yeah. Uh, in terms of thinking, we definitely going to use that. 
Yes. <laughs> but I'm, I'm hoping it does help in building a better relationship with you and your leaders. And those relationships with leadership, they're critical. So this is great advice from Christian here. And I don't know about you, Michael, but I think it's been super interesting to sort of be this fly on the wall, so to speak, not just for today's episode, but really all three of these sessions that we've aired. Yeah, I, I think so, too. And Rockship listeners, we sure hope that you got some value out of this. There's a lot to be learned just by listening into these conversations. And it's a good reminder that sometimes talking through issues you're dealing with with somebody who's been there, they've done it before, can be really helpful. Yeah, I think that's a big reason why coaching for many people it really works. And look, that's why we're experimenting with some programs at Product Collective, like our Rising Leaders and Coaching Collective program. We touched up on this a little bit, and those programs incorporate a small group coaching component, but you're hearing individual coaching sessions here being highlighted, and sessions like that, they could be even more helpful. Maybe that's something to consider if you're a product person or a product leader, or finding that you're kind of feeling alone dealing with certain issues. Even if it's not a full-on dedicated coach, even having mentors or a peer group to talk through, honestly, it can be really helpful. Yes. Well, once again, we hope you enjoyed these three sort of bonus episodes or special episodes, if you want to think of it that way. And, you know, as we experiment here at rocketship.fm, who knows what we're going to be doing next <laughs> week? I guess you're just going to have to tune in and find out. That's right. So for Mike Belsito, Christian Idioti, and myself, Michael Saka, this is rocketship.fm. Thank you so much for listening to Rocketship.fm. It is your support that keeps the show going. If you can, take a second and leave us a review wherever you listen to podcasts. It helps out the show so much. We're also part of the Podglomerate Network. And if you'd like to listen to more great shows from the Podglomerate, go to thepodglomerate.com to see the full show listings. This episode was mixed and mastered by Court Deans. Rocketship.fm is produced in partnership with Product Collective, a community for product people. Go to productcollective.com and get access to our weekly newsletter, live video interviews, Slack community, product job board, and a whole lot more. Again, just go to productcollective.com.